listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talinsky and Wes Boss. Welcome to Syntax. Today is a potluck, which is an episode where you submit the questions. Scott and I will answer them. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. Gatsby, Next.js, um, security with things like Google Home listening to you, uh, overwriting prototypes. Is that an okay thing to do? Man, some some good ones today. Um, today, we're sponsored by Netlify and FreshBooks. We'll talk about them partway through the episode. My name is Wes Boss, and with me today is Scott Talinsky. How are you doing today, Scott? Hey, I'm doing good. Doing very good. Um, so, you know, I had my my tailbone injury. Yeah. I have a, I've gotten a shot in my tailbone on uh, last week, and everything feels great, man. Really? Uh, yeah, it's supposed to last me the entire year. So I'm going to actually be able to sit down for a whole year. I'm pretty darn psyched about it. If you've ever paid attention to, we did our syntax live shows. I'm either like leaning forward or standing up or whatever, because my, my tailbone's always killing me. So I'm, I'm really psyched to be able to sit down and, uh, it's kind of life-changing. So, uh, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. What, what did you get injected? Is it some of those like stem cells? Yeah, no, I, it's like, oh. a, it, it's just straight steroid, I believe, but it's like right into the bone and like, oh, uh, you riding. you can't go in the Olympics now. I know, man, I'm, uh, <laughs> it's artificial now. So, but whatever, <laughs> I don't care. The other alternative was to cut it off and I'm not into that. So. Wow. No. Yeah. No, that, thanks. That sounds rough. Yeah. You're riding up. Yeah. Funny story. My mom was in the hospital eight years ago in like pretty, pretty bad situation. And, uh, to get her the back out of it, they gave her all these steroids and uh, they're like, you're doing well, but you can never go in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> That's super funny. Yeah, I saw you. Uh, I saw you swap out those uh, mirrors on your your car. You you uh, swapped them out with some some carbon fibers. Yeah, pretty sick. Hey, um, hey, we have like an SUV and our garage is like we live downtown. So the, having a garage is, is lucky enough. But this thing is like our garage is super not wide enough for the type of car that we have. Oh, I know how it is. Yeah. And uh, like you have to be really good at backing it up. And uh, twice now, two mirrors on the car twice. Thankfully, not me, but other people who have driven our car have <laughs> uh, knocked off both of the mirrors. Uh, not knocked them off, but like clipped the side of the garage when they're like backing up. And like this is these these mirrors are like they fold in and they're heated and they're they're auto dimming and you can change them every angle and they, <laughs> they do everything like the entire mirror is like like three thousand oh. uh, dollars. So I I got I went on eBay and found all the parts and uh, the only thing that they didn't have was like a like a cap like the 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 top part to match the color of the car because you have to get that painted right and if you order it from the dealer or whatever it comes yeah. just primed. And you have to paint it. So I like got some sick carbon fiber ones yeah. off of like like some like like BMW racing thing. Yes. And uh, man, it the car goes so much faster with that <laughs> weight reduction. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's like uh, reducing your JavaScript bundle size a little bit or something. Yeah. <laughs> if you less speed. That's games. a fun thing to do though. Like I would oh, encourage totally. anyone to like I don't know try fix your own stuff because like. A shop would have cost thousands of dollars and I was able to get away with like new blinkers, new caps and new supports for just a couple hundred bucks and they're ready to be smashed again. Even just like for the troubleshooting and problem solving bits of it. I mean, that's analogous to programming. I fixed my my fridge today. We've been having a 
the water dispenser goes. Oh yeah, yeah. When you try to, yeah. And so I was like, okay, I need a new like hose for the or the new uh, valve for the line. So I like pull the whole thing out. I pull the fridge out and I start to pull the line out. And like as I pull it out, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna hook up the. Now that this is sort of dissembled, I'm gonna hook up the water filter and just try the water thing. And it all of a sudden stopped bu- 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 So I put it back together and it just works. <laughs> the part was like a hundred bucks. And I was, I was like finger on the trigger to buy it. And I was just like, you know what? Let me just pull this apart first and see if I can like find a clog or something. And sure enough, it's working. So who knows what I did, but uh, yeah, man, productive weeks for both of us on a DIY front. That's great. It's funny how many. So for those listening, I always put whenever I fix something at home, I post it on my Instagram just because it's, it's kind of interesting getting into stuff like I fixed our espresso machine the other day. There was like a a water regulator that went bad in it and I swapped that out. And a lot of developers messaged me and were like, you're so handy. And I was like, mm, like, not really. Like, yeah, I'm not handy. either. I'm a developer. I'm pretty good at debugging. So yeah. I just take that mindset and apply it to like, I don't know, unscrewing stuff and, and looking around and poking things. And yeah. Yeah, you can get away with a lot of YouTube parts, like a list of what parts are in the thing and like a multimeter to see where electricity is. And I would encourage anyone who's who has something break, like what's the worst that can happen? You actually have to call the repair person. Yeah. <laughs> but like these these repair persons you call, they don't have any other skills past us. They probably can do it faster, but or they experience. Yeah. Yeah. They just have parts in YouTube as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's totally analogous to programming because I think about that very much when I'm doing it. It's like, all right, especially with my code, it's like, here's this bug. Here's the breaking. We have a, you know, we, we know what the symptom is. We have an error log so we can sort of tell what it is. So you can just sort of narrow, 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 narrow until you get to it. And that's the same thing you do with uh, any of this stuff. So, hey, do you want to get into our uh, potluck questions? Today we have a potluck episode, which is the type of episode where we uh, read your PLQs, your potluck questions on air, and we answer them uh, to the best of our abilities. Sometimes uh, very excellently, other times uh, we say things about Java that we regret. So let's go ahead and start the first one, which is from Robin Weirich. Weirich? Uh, Weirich? Weirich? Uh, any of those will probably work. Robin, you did not provide us with the pronunciation guide. So, uh, you get, you get what we give you. So curious if you would consider to run your course platform on Gatsby instead of Next.js. If not, what dynamic content would prevent you to do it? So this person is wondering if we would ever run our course platforms on Gatsby JS. Mm-hmm. Now, my course platform, uh, for those of you who do not know, is currently based on Meteor. I'm doing a rewrite in Next.js right now. And uh, the way it works is that you have this content that's behind a paywall and you have content that's free. And when you purchase the content or you subscribe to Level Up Pro, you get access to all of the content, okay? So there is content behind a paywall, and that's really specifically why I think Gatsby is not a good fit for my platform. Now, not to say that you couldn't build Level Up tutorials in Gatsby. There's nothing to prevent you from doing that. Using Apollo in Gatsby is just as easy as using Apollo anywhere else, and that's really what I'm doing for my front end anyways. So you definitely could, but I'm losing a ton of benefits there because everything's done on build time. And what you can't have on build time is you can't have a user's uh, status 
uh, whether or not they're logged in all of their account stuff in real time. So for instance, you'd be losing any of those sort of server side rendered benefits that you typically get from a static site. Now, granted, all of the static things would be very fast, uh, but they're also going to be very fast on Next.js. So I really don't think it's a good fit for me, uh, especially because I can get server-side rendered user accounts and pro content uh, using cookies for my authentication with Next.js rather than uh, like a static build. So I personally, you could do it, but I think Next.js is a better fit. Yeah, I think if I were to do anything in in Next or in Gatsby, it would be like the the marketing, the sales pages for mm-hmm. each of them. But I have so much in terms of like who's watching what and uh, affiliate tracking and uh, courses that you've bought. And like there's like so much that is dynamic um, and that needs to actually happen. Um, even things like um, what is it? The parity purchasing power. Yeah, that's all done. That's all done server side. Right. And, and moving that to a static gen at the time of build just means that you have to load the page and then start doing a bunch of work in the browser really quickly and trying to update the interface. And that's where it gets kind of janky. So uh, no, I, I, for right now, I don't think that Gatsby is a good solution for dynamic sites that need to be like that. We've said it before, Gatsby for websites, Next for apps. Um, that might change. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Gatsby rolled out some kind of really interesting way to do serverless or like so you know how like next.js yeah, totally. does these like nice api routes now yeah. like i wouldn't be surprised if gatsby's got some sort of like huh i bet we could <laughs> get away because they've already distanced themselves from this whole idea of, of static site generator sure yeah and like what the play looks like to do a dynamic site in gatsby maybe that will change one day i don't know I'm, i don't know anything that you don't know but i'm just sort of just talking here if, if gatsby really does want to become the like boom like the thing that that will finally go away from WordPress, then then maybe that's what they'll do. But maybe they're they're happy just sticking with their statically generated really fast front ends. Yeah, totally. And I think like if you if you look at it like a, a better use case for Gatsby would be like the syntax website. Now, granted, the yeah. syntax website's in Next.js and it's it's totally great in that. But it changes once or twice a week and then there's nothing dynamic necessarily about it so like that would be the ideal content for that yeah if i ever get down to redoing some of the syntax website i for sure will rebuild it in in gatsby just because like like even just before this thing right now our like code bundler it like broke or not the code bundler the the like ci just like it didn't build properly and it wasn't up by 9 a.m when the podcast goes out and I just logged in and hit rebuild and then it mm. worked. I was like, ah, those yeah, are the worst yeah. kind of issues, you know, for sure. So. All right. Uh, next one we have here is from Wilfred. What is the difference between a software developer and a software engineer, in your opinion? Well, um, software engineers drive trains. I'm going to say I'm going to say nothing um, because like many other engineers, um, we are not held legally responsible if a website causes a death. Whereas if a bridge collapses, the like an actual engineer that built that bridge can go to jail. I think if the website caused a death, you would be responsible. <laughs> yeah, there's probably some way in, in that that you could find out. I, I, I tend to find that. But if that, it fails, it's not going to, it's not an emergency if the website fails. I get what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I, I think if, if you were to draw a line somewhere, someone that's gone to school for comp sci should be able to call themselves an engineer. 
and then everybody else should be able to call themselves a developer. But it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, there's no like legal definition of what that is. And and developers love to sit around and and pontificate about job titles and things like that. And really, who cares? Just start building your website. Yeah. Yeah. Pontificating is one of my favorite words, actually. Uh, so I'm glad you you use that. <laughs> but yeah, no, totally. I think really the the, the only difference is uh, whether or not it's in your job title or not. I really think that's it. I had a job title once where I was an engineer. I had a job title once where I was an interactive producer. These job titles really don't matter that much at the end of the day. And in fact, I think oh, over across the pond, as they say, in, uh, in England, the United Kingdom, I don't really know. Uh, I've heard that they, they do not refer to software developers as engineers whatsoever. And that, you know, I could be making that up. So if I, if that's wrong, please correct me. But that's what I've heard, certainly. Okay, next question. From- uh, what, sorry, one more thing I'll add to that is I've heard that in, in Canada, it is illegal to use the title as an engineer without a license. So if you're Ooh. Canadian you and you call yourself a software engineer, you might go to jail. Because it, it's actually part of uh, like regulations in Canada that you cannot call yourself an engineer unless you are legally allowed to. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm an engineer then, and uh, I'm going to rub that in your face. I'm going to engineer, engineer it over here. All right. Next <laughs> question is from Simple Beck. Now, Simple Beck asks how to deal with designers who design without any thought about how the dev will implement it. Usually, this is regarding consistency. For example... They use different font sizing for headers or different pages out of the blue spacings or 20 different button sizes. So, okay, I think the my outlook on this is that, number one, you have to stop looking at as how to deal with a designer or how like you can't look at it as us versus them or us devs, them designers, because at the end of the day, you're a creative team producing a creative product and the outcome isn't just one person's doing right the designer may have this this idea right to do these 20 different buttons but it's definitely your responsibility to talk with them early and often about the design and explain to them different concepts but when i say that i i don't mean to lecture them i don't mean to talk down to them i don't mean to say oh you don't know anything about developing anything like that does that's not going to get you anywhere what we need to do is from the get-go on every project establish a greater communication more early and more often because that's what's going to uh, that's what's going to enhance your team on just about every single project. Some of the best teams I've ever been on are the ones where the designers were coming to the developers twenty four seven to talk about easings and animations and uh, different things and. And it's your responsibility just as much as it is theirs to educate and to talk these things through and to communicate well. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I ran into that a lot. I was actually really annoyed because developers just like want to create something beautiful, and new. And in reality, I think that's probably signs of a bad designer as well, because a good designer would stick to a design system and they would build a design system yeah. that's robust enough and flexible enough that they can build uh, whatever it is that they want. So, um maybe talk to the designer. Um, I find people complaining about designers. Half of that is valid, but the other half is just that like you don't want to be pushed enough. And I, I find working with designers who build these crazy things, it's like almost a challenge to me to figure out how you can do it well and perform it and things like that. And sometimes you do have to peel it back, but that's that's part of your job. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think at the end of the day, you're you're a team. 
And uh, their process, you have to educate them just as much as they probably have to educate you on different design things. So, yeah. Um, next up, we have a question from uh, Daniel, which is, uh, hey, guys, I saw Wes has an example in one of his slides where the array prototype is written onto the nodeless prototype. Is this safe enough mm. for production as it overrides all of the regular nodeless behavior? I was wondering if it was. So let me bring it up real quick. Um, this is referring to a slide I showed of bling.js and bling.js gives you dollar and dollar dollar for query selector and query selector all. It gives you the on functionality uh, where you can just like select an element and say on click instead of having add event listener. Um, it will give you on for node lists instead of just having to loop over, do a for each and individually attach it. So it, it, in one of the lines in there is uh, node list.prototype uh, equals array dot prototype. And you're overwriting the entire node list prototype to be that is that uh, an array prototype. And, and real quick, a node list is sort of like an array, except it has a very much a peeled back prototype on it, meaning it doesn't have all of the map and filter and reduce methods that you're used to on an array. So often what you find yourself doing is uh, converting a node list to an array so that you can use those things. So um, this one line, uh, this is it, is it okay to do that? Generally, the thing is don't touch built-in prototypes, build your own functions that do that. So like, why, why are you doing this? Um, and I think it's probably fine because this Bling.js was built by Paul Irish, who is uh, a dev over at Google. And this has been around for I don't know, probably six or seven years now. And I haven't heard of anybody complaining about this. And it's not like your your node list is is duplicating these properties on each. You're just pointing the prototype to the array prototype. So I think it's fine. Um, I don't know if it is, but I have never heard anyone complain about it. It's from Paul, Paul Irish, who I respect immensely in performance and JavaScript world. Um, so I, th I think it's totally fine. And, oh, sorry. The, the other thing is that all of the node list methods are also in the array. So you're not losing anything by yeah. overriding the node list prototype. So I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I have nothing, nothing necessarily to say on that because I, I honestly don't know. I don't really do too many of those overrides, but at the same time, I think that's, these are a lot of these concerns about overriding anything, I think become a problem more with teams, right? Because if you're overriding something yourself, you know what to expect, right? You've overridden it with this library, you know what to expect, but maybe somebody who's coming in on a project and maybe everything doesn't transfer. I don't even know. I, I'm, I'm, I, my opinion is not valid here. So yeah, you should never, you should never overwrite built-ins with your own version of that thing. Right. Um, because then anyone else running JavaScript on that doesn't know. And that that's actually what happened with prototype JS. They literally overwrote the prototypes and that's why we have string dot, is it contains or includes? Let me see. If I take awesome and I say dot in, yeah, it's includes. That's why we have string dot includes instead of string dot contains. Yeah. Because prototype had a contains and it was different and they didn't want to break the web. So in general, don't Barf, don't yeah. do that. But if it's if it's native methods anyways, that's not you're not changing anything on the node list, then that's probably fine. Cool. All right. Next question is from Lutfi. Thank you for giving us pronunciation. In a potluck episode, you mentioned that you do not host your clients' websites. If you don't host your clients' websites, how do you go about handling clients that are less tech savvy or you do you avoid those clients? 
Uh, it's funny, this question and the next question are, are sort of related. So I, I wanted to put both of these in here, but I, oh, I think we should answer them separately. So this okay. question is about whether or not we think uh, like, okay. So you have a client's website, you signed up. What do you do about their hosting? Now, typically what I would do is get them either on the line with you, whether or not that's on the phone or maybe on a screen share and have them sign up for the service and enter their credit card on whatever it is and have them give you login credentials. Or uh, they can provide you with a credit card and you can create the account and uh, sign up and do all that stuff for them to get the application set up. Because the last thing you want in my mind is reoccurring billing from some service on your own credit card. So you wanna have their card, their account, it's all theirs and you can set up to reoccur forever and whatever you need to do. But in my mind, that's how I would approach it. And whether or not they're technical, I, I wouldn't consider that as anything. It's just a matter of um, not being responsible for either the payments or for keeping this thing alive, essentially. Yeah, don't don't do it. I mean, we had a lot of people tweet us being like, yes, I made the same mistake. Don't actually do it ever um, because they will come back to you when when things break. Everybody knows how to buy something online. You're not asking them to like SSH into a box and set up a Linode server or something like that. You're you're asking them to go and go to a website that sells a, a hosting plan, click it, put their credit card in, and then usually they just send me the password uh, for their login and you can log in and do and do the rest. Everybody knows how to buy stuff online. And honestly, even if they can pay their power bill, everybody should be able to, to do that. Yeah, at least in 2019. Yeah. Um, so the next question we have, which is related, I know you guys, especially Wes, have been pretty insistent recently and not hosting client site. But what do you think about continuously hosting client sites with a service like Netlify? It's highly likely to go down in scales for all of you. So it might be a little bit of recurring income if you bill them yearly for the minimal Netlify fees. So yeah, I think that that's fine to do that. But you getting in there and trying to scrape 11 bucks a month off of the top is not going to be worth it because of other stuff that is unrelated that they think is mm -hmm. your problem. So their email goes down. They want to make a quick change on the website six years later and you're not like essentially by doing this, you are attaching yourself to the client likely forever um, because you can obviously transfer it out, but it's a pain to do that. So is it worth making an extra hundred bucks a year when they're going to call you up on a long weekend at five o'clock on a Friday night? Probably not. But like there's there's businesses that have support and things like that to do this. And if something goes wrong with any one of these things, like the website goes down, like their email, you need to direct them to the actual support, which they're paying for and say, look, I, I wrote the code. I'm not it. And honestly, I, I'm so adamant about this because I've been there and it's just not worth not worth it because clients aren't dumb either. Like they can go and search how much does hosting cost and they're going to find the GoDaddy page where it says it costs like a ham sandwich to host your website, you know, <laughs> not, they're not dumb. They can find out that it is. They're gonna be like, why are you charging me an extra 20 a month? So that's my thoughts. Yeah. I've been there, done that, bought a t-shirt, you know, and did all that. <laughs> so, okay. So this is going to be the easiest ad transition in the world because this episode is also sponsored by Netlify. Hey, so Netlify, we were just talking about them. It's a super easy way to host your applications. Now, 
Uh, what does Netlify give you? Well, it gives you uh, just about the easiest setup and hosting that you could ever possibly imagine, along with some things right out of the box, like a CDN, um, an SSL, a bunch of other acronyms. But it also gives you continuous integration and automatic deployment, things that you don't even have to think about. Seriously, just connect your repo to Netlify and let Netlify take care of the rest. It couldn't be any easier. And uh, they also have a bunch of additional features, things that you're going to use for just about any major project that you're doing, such as uh, some really awesome, unique DNS level analytics that are just like really super cool. Their analytics are very different. They come uh, uh, from a higher degree than something like a script on your page, like a Google Analytics. So you can actually trust these analytics. They also give you access to server side functions, login via identify forms and large media so check out netlify at netlify.com forward slash syntax host your website get up and running in just about two seconds and then tweet at us just how awesome you found netlify <laughs> to be because that's what everybody else does so check it out netlify.com forward slash syntax and thank you to netlify for sponsoring this show okay next question is from mr x all right mr x says Hey guys, I'm a huge fan of the show and I want to thank both of you for your amazing courses that you create. Well, thank you, Mr. X. I was listening to an episode on the smart home and I'm interested in buying a Google Home Mini myself. However, I cannot stop thinking about the privacy implications of this device always listening around my house. What are your thoughts on this topic and on privacy related to online services in general? Okay, so this is a tough question. I have Google uh, I'll gorgle minis all over my house. <laughs> uh, and so there is a microphone and it's listening to you. I mean, that's definitive. And maybe some interns going to listen to uh, some audio. That's not you saying, Hey, Hey, uh, gorgle. Right. But uh, people who, who think like this, they don't think about every other microphone that's in your house, considering every single device you have, whether it's a phone or whatever, also has those same voice detection <laughs> features. It has a microphone. So your phone is also listening for Hey Gorgle or uh, Yo, uh, any of those, whatever. Uh, Sandra. Yes, Sandra. Any of your your queries that you're talking about, your phone microphone's already listening to that stuff. So uh, I think this is the, uh, I don't know, maybe the the future where we're just giving up our privacy and uh, for convenience. I, I honestly don't know, to be honest. Yeah. It's a tough thing. I might even, if I, like, I might even just straight up turn off the mics on all of mine uh, because I mostly use them through like Chromecast to Chromecast my thing rather than yelling at it. But sometimes I yell at it. I don't know. We yell at ours all day long. We had yeah. to replace our daughter's light switch with a Wi-Fi light switch. And then we just put a plate over top of it because our daughter was turning the light on at three in the morning when she was angry and woken up. So we just put a Wi-Fi light switch in and put a, just a plate over it. And then we had to yell downstairs to turn their light on. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, the developer in me knows how much this can be abused. Yes. Because like, I know like it's sometimes funny. You talk to um, you talk to like your non-technical relatives and they're like oh man i just got an ad for the thing we were talking about and the developer in me is like 100 percent they're listening to you <laughs> yeah because there's so many like i've got like i i've listened to the reply all that and and i know that about bluetooth beacons and all these things and 100 percent don't believe that they are listening to you for sure but 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but like also like I, I don't think it's as, as overblown. I don't yeah. even know what to say about this. It's I don't, I don't think people say that about the wise cams as well. Every time we talk about them on the, the thing, people are like, oh, they're Chinese cameras spying on you. And I think like probably not, but maybe probably not. I bet. But uh, it's hard. I'm I'm taking the risk. I believe that the benefit maybe outweighs the cost at some point. Maybe that will irk me a little bit more. I definitely am much more privacy focused than I was maybe even two years ago. And I think that there's a bit of a a trend right now. And I think that's why I sort of I'm saddling up on a lot of Apple products over some of the other ones. Yeah. Hey, that's a a consideration I had too for getting the the iPhone. Although the report, you know, Apple's interns and their third party people listen to you too uh, because that report came out. So I think Apple's Apple's regard maybe just be a heavy, hefty dose of marketing, but they do tend to back it up a little bit. So I think so, especially like the the Catalina now asks for everything and people are so annoyed by it. Like, can it access? Yeah, I don't mind it. Oh, I like it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's totally I love knowing what being able to like know that someone's not using my mic, someone's not using my microphone or my webcam, things like that before I actually use it. And uh, I don't know. The world is amazing, but also awful. (laughs) Yeah, right. The new Android has like a lot of those features, too. But I really loved how the iPhone was just like, would you like this application to know your location only when you're using it? Never. Whatever. I like I, I like how easy they're making a lot of those things now. So, yeah. Yeah. Skeptical by default, but cautiously optimistic. Exactly. Next question we have here is from Al Chen. What are your thoughts about using a CMS that uses flat files versus a traditional MySQL or Postgres database for a company blog that won't have large traffic? We are currently evaluating Grav CMS and Craft CMS, which I know you've mentioned a few times on the podcast. Um, I think the flat file CMS is fine for technical users. Yep. And I think that that's okay as long as it doesn't stop you from posting stuff because you know, like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't want to have to rerun the build (laughs) and have to update everything, things like that. Um, Not a good solution for like I worked on a large website once where we built it all on markdown files and then Mm -hmm. we ended up building a markdown editor for the non-technical users. And we did everything. Like we built a table layout and everything. And it just wasn't like, it didn't, the the end users were just like, can I paste my word document into it? You know, like just wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, So I, myself, I'm building a flat file, like Gatsby site for my own website, but that's because I'm a developer and I want my, want everything to be in markdown files, but I would probably go a traditional CMS for almost everything else. Yeah, I know this person says that they they don't say anything about non-technical people editing, but that's such a huge thing. Regardless of how optimistic you are, uh, non-technical people will never, one, understand markdown files, and two, never go to (laughs) GitHub to edit something. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'll just have them edited on GitHub. We'll submit a poll. No, nobody's going to do that. No, No, Nobody knows how to do that, and I wouldn't ask anybody to do that. So as long as uh, as long as it's user friendly, I know craft seems to look nice. I've never used it myself. As long as it, it is a, a decent editing experience, 
then it's fine. But again, like you mentioned, if for some reason you're not going to want to edit it or people aren't going to want to edit it because it's too much of a pain, then I, you know, people just flat out won't. So, um, yeah, yeah. Cool. And I would jump, I would jump out of, uh, there's so many new CMSs out there right now. Oh yeah. There's, uh, uh, Prismic and Sanity who've sponsored in the past. Um, Netlify has a CMS, uh, Headless WordPress. Contentful. Uh, Contentful. Um, there's also this new thing that got, um, Tina. released the other Tina CMS, which is not a CMS. Um, <laughs> but, oh, it's forestry is another one. They yep. just put out Tina, which is like an editing UI that Take will connect shape. to your CMS. Actually, that's a I did, that's a perfect solution. So this new editing Tina thing will have the ability to edit raw files or like hook up to a, a headless CMS. So maybe look take a look at Tina because it's it gives you the ability to like edit your site in real time with a nice editing UI that comes out from the side, and then it will save it to respective wherever that that data lives. Yeah. Cool. Good option. Good modern new checkout option. Yeah. Came out three days ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Uh, next question is from Oliver uh, Seddon. All right. Oliver asks, have you used data attributes as custom elements in CSS in JS? I have been developing using them for the past two years and think they are the way forward. Here's some example usages so far. So they're talking about using a data attribute to style as like a like as a replacement for maybe like a like a styled components or something right yeah how is this different than just using a class i guess that's what i don't understand because you're just signifying a thing via yeah. a data attribute instead of a class so how is that different than a class yeah let me explain it real quick so he gave us this example airdalechemical.com they're gonna get all these weird just gonna get like 40,000 hits yeah right they're air it's a-i-r-d-a-l-e chemical.com and then just view source on it and the oh. idea is that they've got like a header component uh that has data dash css header equals header so that's a specific kind of header yeah. that they have and they have a, a, a data css selection content slim uh, and then data js header equals header so what they're doing is they're creating custom components that have CSS and functionality attached to them yeah. via data attributes instead of like a class. And sure, let's let's look at the footer. The footer has data hyphen CSS hyphen footer equals footer, and then data hyphen CSS hyphen uh, section equals content. Why wouldn't you just say class equals footer space? Content, yeah, <laughs> right. You just you just type so many more words to do the exact same thing because it's just going to compose the same way classes are. I think yeah. it's maybe just more explicit in the HTML, but to me, I would just use this. Is just seems like you're just coming up with a, a new way to do the exact same thing that people have been doing for a long time. And I think the only reason that I would use styled components over classes, anyways, is just because of how it looks and feels within React. To me personally, I, I mean. Uh, I don't think this, I don't, I guess I can see where the perceived benefit would be here, but to me, this perceived benefit does not surpass the utility of it. Yeah. What I've done in the past is sometimes I've added a class to something and I've used that class to style it and to add functionality via JavaScript, like grab it via course selector and add. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, then I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, I just tied like what it looks like and what it does into one class and that's annoying because it should mm -hmm. separations of concerns right so 
like what I ended up doing is I would just say like FN dash, like function dash, whatever. And then I knew that if it had FN in front of it, that that class was for selecting it via JavaScript. So See, that's like smart. I guess yeah. this yeah. is a bit of a better way to or a different way to like nice, clearly state this is a footer and this is the type of footer it is. But what, couldn't you do that with just classes anyways? Like yeah, what you're saying you by doing a prefix, like if you wanted to say section footer, section hyphen footer as the class. I mean, to me, this is just extra markup for not a lot of benefit. Yeah, maybe if you I'm just trying to think like what the benefits would be, because I had never heard of this until we got the question. I was like, this is super interesting. Yeah. You show me all these Likewise. websites that have it uh, and like and maybe because like you can easily access data attributes via JavaScript, but you can access classes and you have to parse the prefixes off of them. I don't know. I don't. I, I think it's cool. Absolutely. I don't think there's any downside to it at all. If it makes a lot of sense for you, go for it. Um, but he said it's the future of components. And I, I highly I doubt that. So that's cool. Yeah, I, I think anything that makes your system more robust and more usable as a design system is good because it's helping your team build something that's organized. And really, at the end of the day, like I wanted to do an episode on um, I, I added it to the, the hasty calendar here if you wanted to talk about this at some point, but on writing good CSS, like CSS at scales. And I mm -hmm. think that is such a like the biggest component of that is having a system that people would adhere to and that works. Right. So anything that allows you to write a system like this, I, I believe, is a positive uh, whether or not it is the future. I think that it remains to be unseen. Yeah, I, I also think there's there are many ways to do it. And it tends to be in I find in CSS world, people get really angry about people doing things a different way than they think is right, which like, I don't go for it. If this is the way that you like to do it, yeah, yeah. seems seems kind of neat. And I bet there's some benefits that we're probably missing here, like tweet us at Syntax FM if you uh, if you found any other benefits. I'm just looking at the media queries here and they're using a lot of tilde selectors. So like if something has a full or center data dash CSS selection, then apply this padding. And then I think you can probably have like full dash hero, you know, like yeah. maybe like different types of full. I don't know. I'm, I, I think I'm I'm stretching it a bit far here, but sure. it seems interesting. I probably wouldn't go into it myself, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd be interested in hearing more arguments for this. But yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question we have here from Scott Cardoza. Uh, why do so many people jump on styled components slash CSS and JS? Are these all people who have never used SAS or SCSS? <laughs> Seems like such a pita to get a SAS working with either of these. It feels like coding tables versus coding HTML. To me, it seems backwards. Whew. Is it more of a, a, a non-bread than a pita? A non. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, why do so many people jump on it? I, 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 we see they see this question a lot from people because they're like, I'm used to SAS. I, I think it's great. And why are all these people changing? I'm I'm annoyed that my comfortable way of doing things is changing. Um, so first of all, you don't have to change. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. SAS is still extremely valid. I just added SAS to the Level Up website for a small little thing. Like I just added it. Yeah. I mean, how come? Why? Uh, it's kind of a long story. I got time. Yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I have some global CSS for things like my custom properties. I use a lot of custom properties in the level up site. And so I had a lot of global CSS files and I was occasionally getting some very, very weird Safari books where there would be just like memory 
uh, out of control in Safari exclusively. And I would, it was the hardest thing to solve, but every single time I would comment out my global CSS from styled components, like that create global CSS component, every single time that I would comment that out, the bug would go away. And so instead of spending, you know, two weeks to try to figure out what exactly was causing this to happen within styled components, I just copied and pasted all of that CSS into a SAS file. And uh, that was it. <laughs> because Me- Meteor's build tool is as simple as just saying, hey, yeah, add SAS to this and it takes care of it. And it was just a, a few things anyways. But that solved the problem in just about two seconds. So it was only styled components, global CSS. And honestly, I have no idea what the problem is. It could have been anything from server-side rendering to something specific with Meteor. So honestly, I have no clue. There you go. Yeah, I I think like, why are people switching to it? Uh, People like having all of their CSS in their JavaScript. Um, People like being able to run JavaScript inside of their CSS, which makes doing things like dynamic CSS really, really easy. You can't do if statements inside of your SAS. Super simple to do it inside of a style component. Well, you can't do it on runtime. Yeah, exactly. You can't have, well, I guess with, with like variables. You can do it on build time. Yeah. Custom properties. You can now have variables in your SAS, which is great. Yep. Um, so it's just a different thing that people like. And uh, if, uh, it's certainly not everybody likes it. There's a lot of uh, hate against style components in the whole CSS and JS. So uh, certainly don't have to, to go that way. But a lot of people quite enjoy it. Yeah, I think uh, some of it, too, is that, okay, so CSS is built to cascade, right? And then so sometimes the the people who are anti-CSS and JS see those solutions as simply being a solution to scoping and cascading. So they say, well, we just want to scope everything. But I don't really think that's the case because a lot of times if you're writing good CSS and JS anyways, you're still taking advantage of all of the cascade, but it does give you more control over that scoping by having scoping essentially there by default. And you can turn it on when you want or turn it off when you don't want by just how you compose things. So I I think there is a little bit of that scoping thing in there. And I I don't think it's that people don't know how CSS works. To me, to be honest, it just gave me more control over that scoping and the overrides than uh, files. And sure enough, you can get that same thing by different ways of having CSS load, whether or not it's being bundled in different ways. I like CSS and JS simply just because of how it allows me to organize my things in a way. So like, not that you can't organize these things with BIM or with a system. You certainly can the exact same way, but I just like the way it looks and feels in that regard. Uh, But I think the biggest benefits, as you mentioned, are like some of the interactivity between JavaScript where you can just have JavaScript right then in there uh, modifying and changing your CSS instead of having to do a bunch of overrides or anything like that. Again, custom properties solve some of that as well. But yeah, I, I, I just like it. And, uh, you know, I, I would consider myself a CSS head, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I, I toured with CSS back in the day, you know, <laughs> with the, all their shows, you know, I'm a huge yeah. fan of CSS and like, I like CSS and JS just because it helps me write better CSS. And I, I don't think it's a, a PETA, but maybe um, maybe I think you should spend a little bit more time with it. And maybe you might like it. Just like React, I thought it was ugly when I first saw it and I was kind of annoyed by it. And then once I picked it up, I ended up really liking it. Yeah, it, I think that's like a good, like Scott has no horse in this game, whether CSS and JS wins or loses or sass like oh yeah i was an early sass man yeah he just wants to use what's what works for him and what he enjoys authoring and what makes uh writing scoped and maintainable css in his code base easy right yeah 
and because of that, he's probably tried them all and, and he likes style components. So I think that's like a good way to look at it. I like CSS more than I like JavaScript. So <laughs> like, you know, it's not, it's not like I'm just trying to shoehorn JavaScript into everything. I, I like yeah. CSS more than JavaScript. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, you tend to get that feeling from the, like, I'm a JavaScript person and I'm a CSS person and, and people are sort of fighting and it's kind of nice to like, I think see people like Scott and I were like, we literally don't care who wins this battle because we're just using both at the end of the day. I don't see it as a battle. Yeah. Yeah. If you see it as a battle, I think that's the wrong side of the argument. I think there's only one wrong side and that is like the person who's divisive on either side. It's like, do what works for you. You know what I'm not divisive about, Scott? Oh, uh, um, hmm. Was it FreshBooks? It's FreshBooks. Our sponsor today is FreshBooks, which does your cloud accounting. If you're running a small business and you need to get paid, uh, you need to send off invoices. You need to track your time, convert those time into invoices, log all of your expenses. FreshBooks is going to do it. It does small business accounting that makes your billing painless. Check it out. FreshBooks.com forward slash syntax. Looks like they got a big fall sale going on right now. If you want to sign up for six months. Ooh, get them deals. Uh, you're going to get a 30 day unrestricted free trial. If you check it out, make sure you enter syntax in the how did you hear about us? That will get us credit and keep FreshBooks sponsoring. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring. Yeah, got to get those deals. All right. Next question is from Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Uh, when do you, if ever, reach for a component library like Material or Bootstrap? Currently working in a corporate job, we're almost always expected to use one of these for our internal applications. I usually prefer to make it on my own, but I'm wondering if I'm going to make my life more difficult than it needs to be. Any advice? When do I reach for them? I typically reach for them for side projects, and that's pretty much it, or something where I don't want to have to write or design something, I'll reach for it. Because if I'm having to do too many overrides, then at the end of the day, I I would rather pick a smaller or, or like a selection of smaller tools rather than one big tool, right? I would rather pick, uh, not, not that you need it with CSS Grid now anyways, but like in the past, I would have rather picked a grid library, uh, you know, a typography uh, system, uh, this system and a that system rather than one all-encompassing system. We worked on a project with a, a large team. I can't get too much into this project uh, because it was not one that I can share anything about, but we used Bootstrap 4, I believe, on it. And man, the amount of time we spent having to fight Bootstrap to do what we wanted to do was like kind of outrageous. And now granted, things would be very different with Flexbox and Grid today, but I'm almost never reaching for these things unless of course it's a project that I need to get done quickly. And it's a project that I don't want to fiddle a ton with. In a corporate world, there's going to be a different expectation because sometimes these decisions aren't made by you. When we made these decisions, Neither of the developers working on the project actually got to make that call. It was already started, passed down to us, and here you go. You got bootstrap. So you don't always get to make those calls, and sometimes you got to, you know, work within the system, and that's all of part of what we're doing as developers, you know. So when would I reach for them? Not ever unless uh, it's unless it's a side project or I don't want to spend the time developing it myself. Yeah, the last time I reached for it was when I was doing my like course backend player. And I just needed a quick couple of classes to slap together and I'm in. And I kind of regret it because anytime I want to make a change, I have to like figure out what is it doing and override it. But that said, it's certainly if you learn how to use foundation or bootstrap well, 
it's a great base and you can get really good at it. I just don't think that it's worth the time and investment because of, um, I don't know, I can, I can slap up a quick website design base system in, in like an hour or two yeah. uh, and, and I'm up and running. I, like, like Scott said, the only time I would use it is if I needed to like have an admin dashboard, something oh, yeah. that is yeah, so that fussy um, with graphs and, and cards and, and blocks and things fitting together. And like, that's a really fussy job. And that takes a lot of finesse. Um, and if you can go and spend 50 bucks on a bootstrap admin theme and just pipe the data right in there, you're laughing. So I think that's probably a really good use case for it as well. You know, one thing too, I might recommend is what I did is I created essentially my own, I don't want to call it a design system, but my own utilities where, I've sort of built up my own library, mini library of utilities that I use for everything, whether or not in my in my projects, these are styled components, but they could just as easily be classes where I have specific reusable layouts that I have. I have specific buttons. I have specific typography settings, and I could take these things from project to project with me. And I know them really well. Now, granted, those aren't going to transfer. If you have another developer, you'd have to teach them your system rather than a bootstrap system. But the benefits are that you don't have this giant behemoth known as bootstrap or any of these libraries sort of hanging out in your project. Um, so that's maybe just the thought to, to consider is maybe it's worthwhile to develop your own internal one because internal well-developed uh, tools like that can always be a little bit more refined to what you need specifically. Next question we have here is from Dale. Dale. Hey, Scott and Wes. First off, great podcast. Thank you, Dale. Thanks, Please, Dale. could you chat about Git clients and which ones you use and why? Or are you hardcore terminal geeks? Cheers from South Africa. Well, Dale, I had learned via the command line and I do everything via the command line. However, I did switch for a little bit using the VS Code built-in one. Yes. Okay. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. I recently saw like in the latest release, it got even better so it's good. Yeah, I think you should use a GUI. I don't use one just because like, I don't know, I learned the hard way and, and now that's how I know it. You know, <laughs> like I would say, don't do it the way I did it. Use the use a GUI to at least learn it all because they, they seem really great whenever I see people using them. It's just that I, for some reason, just love using the terminal. Yeah, you get all those interactive uh, like merge stuff, not from VS Code, but from a GUI. I've never used a GUI. I tried to use the Git Get Kraken. Is that the one? I tried to use yeah. one of those at some point. Or, uh, but really, once you have your your muscle memory really attuned to your you know your keyboard, you just, your, your little alias is set up. You just pop, 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 you know, fly through it. It's really easy to just have that be how you do it because it's your muscle memory. But just like you, I've recently been trying out the VS Code ones considerably more to use the whole interface for staging and, and merging and whatever, specifically because I've been doing some pretty monster merges. <laughs> it's like the monster mash over here with merges for me. And uh, and so <laughs> I, I've been having to like really navigate through some conflicts and some complex merges. So I've been using the VS Code ones and I really love the history. I think it's Git Lens, a lot of that stuff. Uh, the tools I found to be in VS Code have made me much less to tab over to my command line. But at the end of the day, I'd still say maybe like 80% of my commits are still done through the command line. I don't know why. I think it's just muscle memory. But yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty much it. I wouldn't even describe <laughs> myself as a terminal geek because uh, I, I do a lot of stuff on terminal, but I'm not necessarily like a terminal head. I'm not using Vim or any of that stuff. All right. That's all the questions for today. Thanks so much for sending those in. If you have a question, please, please send them on in at syntax.fm. 
click in the top right hand corner. It says ask a potluck question. You can go ahead and pop your question in there. Uh, whatever it is you want to hear us talk about. We really like these just because even if we don't answer them, it's usually helpful to like we see things over and over again and then we say, oh, we should do a show on that. Because yeah, it's totally. some, something people are asking about all the time. Somebody told us that they didn't like our float tank thing. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. Somebody said, please keep your your shows about coding, not float tanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, sir, it's our podcast. Well, we we do appreciate we your do. feedback. We do. But also it's it's our podcast and we can do what's fun because like we do this thing twice a week and we want to keep it fun and interesting. And we want to like my number one goal in web development is don't burn out. And if that means doing interesting shows on random stuff and or if that means just talking to Scott about sleeping like I did for 20 minutes before we started recording. Yeah. Um, then that's what I'm going to do because uh, we're having fun over here. And float tanks, I mean, honestly, even though it's, you know, we're, we, we weren't trying to be Joe Rogan or anything like that with it. I was. Well, like you you might have been. But like <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, this stuff is important to us as developers who are under a high amount of stress. Like I'm under totally. a crazy, crazy amount of stress. I know a lot of developers are. I have a crazy deadlines. I'm like constantly freaking out about things. My code's not working this or that or whatever. Uh, having that time to wind down or whatever was, is, was super essential to me. And, uh, to try an experience like that, I think that's something that would be beneficial to people to know about. A lot of people just don't even know about that thing. So, um, that's, that's my thought on it. I'm not going to, I guess, apologize for it, but yeah, totally like, well, that's why we do podcasts on like health and, and fitness and, uh, all of that sort of semi-related stuff, because honestly it does make you, if you're sharper, if you're more well-rested, if you're in good shape, then I think you are going to be a better web developer. So Absolutely. Yeah. We think it's related. Let us yeah. know what you think at Syntax yeah. FM. We can handle it. We can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, so what about a sick pick for today? Yeah, I have a sick pick. Um, so, okay. I'm going to preface this with, okay, so those of you who have been paying attention to this podcast for a little bit know that I recently switched to an iOS device as my sort of daily driver. I, I, I have four phones on my desk right now, three of which are Android devices and one is an iOS. So it's by no means totally entrenched in this iOS device, but I've switched to it as the phone that I'm using. Right. And so I like uh, working out and I have been really struggling to find the right fitness app for me because there's a billion fitness apps and a lot of them look really good. And then you download them and then they expect you to pay $10 a month just to yeah. do your fitness stuff. And so some of them that have been suggested have been like strong, FitBod, rep count, Gravitas, uh, heavy set. And so a bunch of these apps, I tried them out and I, I need something very specific from my fitness app. I do not need it to use machine learning to generate routines for me. I do not need, uh, people to say, okay, this fitness person created this routine. Like all I need is the ability to log my things, to save it, to look at pretty graphs that, that show me, you know, how much stronger I'm getting. And uh, some of the things that I want is I wanted to connect to like maybe the health apps if I'm going to get an Apple watch or um, I have a smart scale that connects to the Apple health thing. So if I'm buying into this Apple health thing, I want the app to connect to it as well. So I did a trial and I downloaded a ton of these apps and I have found in my mind what is the best one for me. And this is called Heavy Set. The app was a $9 or $10 purchase, but a one-time purchase rather than a monthly or a yearly subscription. Oh, I'm into that. Because I think that's kind of nuts because 
Like a fitness app does not need to have servers running, right? Sure, you can have backup data and whatever, but my fitness app on Android backed up to Google Drive and like that that's free. So you just a one-time purchase. There's no reason to have server costs for that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've been using Heavyset and let me say it's very pretty. The app is very, it's like this neon green and black. The app is very pretty. The interface is not the most intuitive but it's very good, if that makes sense. Once you like get it, once you understand what's going on, it's super easy to navigate and looks really nice. But when you first open it up and you're trying to figure it out, you're like, I don't, what do I click on here? So it's definitely one that might be benefit from like watching like a how-to video on YouTube, how to use it or something. But this is definitely my favorite app. You can import and export the data. You can uh, get all your nice charts and graphs. It connects to the Apple Health stuff. And uh, it's totally customizable. So if they don't have an exercise uh, that you do, you can add it in like two seconds. And it does some really nice things. You know, um, one of the, inter- this is like a web dev thing even. One of the interface things that I love about this app is that when you're searching for an exercise and it doesn't have that exercise, it automatically is adding that text that you're searching for into like a create new exercise button. So if I search for overhead press and it's not in there, I, I can just easily hit one button to say, add this instead of having to retype it and re-add it. Uh, so it makes adding things really nice and easy in the process of using it. There's just a lot of nice little user face, user interface stuff. Man, this looks awesome. Definitely going to try this at the gym today. Yeah, I like it a lot. So heavy set, check it out. Cool. Check that out. That's a good sick pick. I'm going to sick pick a Canadian television show uh, <laughs> that's called the Bar. I can't print it. Barnas Von Sketch. Oh, um, and yeah, the I've best way I can describe this as is Canadian women Portlandia. Um, because it's it's a sketch show very much like Portlandia, where they do these hilarious little things. And uh it's it's four women who just like there's one where they're like doing superpowers, and the one girl's superpower is being that woman who like tells people to stop smoking and stop parking in the bike lanes, and everyone's like, Oh. I want to be that woman, you know, (laughs) like social interaction is hard and it is hilarious. I think it's five seasons in already. You can watch if you just search on YouTube, you can watch some of their best sketches. But uh, we've been uh, watching all of them on the the CBC app. I'm sure you can find it somewhere else if you're not in Canada. So check it out. The Barnes. It's B-A-R-O-N-E-S-S. Von Sketch. Word. Uh, shameless plugs. I have a new course on Next.js 9 that uses the Next.js API route. So it uses MongoDB, it uses Apollo, and we build a habit tracking app. It's pretty darn cool uh, where we do all sorts of really fun stuff related to server-side rendering with React in the modern stack and all wrapped up within one code base using these fantastic API routes. So check it out at leveluptutorials.com forward slash pro. Sign up for the year and get 25% off. I'm going to shamelessly plug in advance. Probably by the time you're listening, so I, I don't think I'll have it out yet, but uh, my beginner JavaScript course is just about done. Um, and it's going to be, it's it's crazy. I've been working on this thing for like almost all year, like nine oh, months. Yeah. And uh, I'm so happy with it. I'm so proud of like, like I actually think this is going to be like a fundamental building block of a lot of people's learning of JavaScript. So it's, it's going to be at beginnerjavascript.com. Depending on when you listen to this, it might not be out yet, but uh, just put that in your head. If you or someone you know, like that's the other thing. It's like I know a lot of people listening don't necessarily need this course, but a lot of people listening know somebody who 
is looking to get into JavaScript and needs a a beginner course that's not just like a hold your hand and console log something and that's it, but you actually want to like end up building real stuff. So check it out, beginnerjavascript.com. I almost said thanks so much to them for sponsoring. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks thanks so so much for checking it out. That is my plug. Anything else today? That's all I got. All right. Thanks for checking in. We will catch you on Monday. Later. Peace. Peace. Head on over to syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.